Hi and welcome to the podcast. I wasn't going to do an intro for this uh, because it has a sort of an intro contained in it, but I wanted to have a quick word before the show just to say thank you. This is the Christmas episode. It brings us close to the end of my first year of podcasting. It's been the most consistent thing this year. Uh, When everything else has fallen to pieces, this has been the thing I've kept trying to pump out regularly if of varying quality, uh, and I really, really appreciate everybody who's written to me, everybody who's emailed me, everyone who has tweeted me, everybody who's shared this podcast with their friends. It is so thrilling when I come across a mention of this podcast in a forum that's not my friend talking to my friend or my dad talking to, you know, it's just people who like what I do. It's overwhelmingly thrilling. Uh, and I wanted to say thank you for that. I, I will let you listen to this podcast. It was a lot of fun. I talked to my brother. We had a, a special Christmas episode. I was uh, running on about two hours of sleep and he'd just come in from a sprint session. So it's rambling and incoherent and a heap of fun. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. You're having tea with Alice. How are we? How about now? Yeah, that's better. So I'll just talk a bit closer. What about now? Yeah, that's even better. Yeah, okay, we'll just talk from here. Okay. Um, so how was Christmas for you? Christmas was good. Yeah. Um, Do you like Christmas as a rule? Normally, actually, I'm very contrary and I choose consciously or unconsciously, probably unconsciously, I think it would be pretty sooky to choose consciously, to be kind of low bit depressed melancholy Mm. but I wasn't too melancholy this Christmas it was quite good ever rising tower of cushions oh that's perfect for me it is wow so pro what right now we're sitting on the floor the there's a pile and the mic is sitting on a pile of just couch cushions (laughs) cushions <laughs> precariously doesn't have a mic stand or anything it's just got a little it's a tower of cushions yeah i find it quite weird radio i guess it's a radio thing normal like a uh, um condenser mic for music is never uh on a stand that you just put on something because otherwise when you tap your foot it the vibration shakes the mic and it sounds weird you get this weird big bassy resonance so they tend to be in little elasticated hammocks Mm, Fact for non-musos out there. The old elasticated hammock. That sounds almost like a thing. What kind of thing? (laughs) Do I have to make it explicit? I was just thinking more kind of like an ad for men's underwear. (laughs) An elasticated hammock? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to do better sound quality. That's why the Tower of Cushions is... (laughs) (laughs) maybe buy a better mic Um, I would buy a better mic if I had money so I'm thinking next week I will take questions from listeners as a kind of a new year's thing and I will give advice because I enjoy giving advice wow what do you mean people will email me in yeah at alicearfraser.gmail.com or tweet me at at gmail.com yeah that's not .gmail 
I know how e- I know how email addresses <laughs> work at gmail.com or at alliterative and then they'll ask me questions either about me which I will choose to answer or not answer just to clarify by at alliterative you mean tweet you at yes at alliterative yes rather than alisar fraser at alliterative.com which would be sound like it don't confuse the i'm on twitter at alliterative with one l yeah where the l is (laughs) in the word alliterative so the thing is people can email me with questions about themselves or questions about me Mm-hmm. And I will solve them because I did this Girls Gone Mild on FBI and so it was three hours of radio this morning and I found what I ended up doing was just trying to get people to text me with problems that I would then solve for them. Did people text you? Yeah, I had one person text in to say that her little sister had a moustache. How old was her little sister? 13. Like a little bit of a... Like, like a, f- a little moustache. Like a downy Like mustache. a fluffy, dark... Frida Kahlo-esque moustache. Oh, cute. And she was asking whether she should tell her little sister how to deal with it Mm. or not. Just let... And I said that she should... uh, She should ask her little sister because maybe her little sister wanted to be like Frida Kahlo. And, like, it's quite a glamorous thing and some people like furry women. I agree. I think Frida Kahlo's little downy moustache is the fact that she is so utterly unvain about it is awesome. Yeah, well, she wasn't even unvain about it. She was sort of proud of it. I actually don't know anything about Frida Kahlo. She's, she, I love those paintings, though. Of her? Yeah, you just think that she's probably really cool and fun. Well, they're like the letters that her and Diego What's-His-Face do together insanely romantic and glamorous oh really are they romantic letters to each other yeah they wrote lots of romantic letters to each other they're like oh you are the blood of my skin of my oh really yeah like that kind of with blood and skin and stuff all your colors are in my blood skin you know to very like visceral yeah uh sort of slightly non-syntactic in that way that people use to i can't even use words but i'm using words so well that thing um But, uh, so I had one person text me with that and then I had, uh, one person text in to say that he or she, I don't know, was anonymous. So let's say he had eaten too much at Christmas because everyone in his family was bigger than him, taller and bigger, Mm. and they bullied him into eating too much and now he hated himself. Oh, he mustn't hate yourself after Christmas. I imagine it was a she actually. That seems more of a, a feminine narrative, but possibly not. Men also have self-loathing related to food. Um, and <laughs> Wow, this is so unprofesh. The Tower of Cushions. So, yeah, we, the, the, the thing is about two-thirds when we speak into it okay. at a moderate level. Are you turning the gain up or down? Up. Further up. Yeah, I think that looks about right to me. Okay, we'll start again. Starting again. Okay, let's just go. The topics that we're going to cover. Yeah. My next week's initiative of question asking and storytelling. Yep. It's question asking and storytelling, yep. Uh, And then um, I'm going to talk about uh, Christmas. Yep, Christmas. Crimbo. 
Crimbo? Crimbo? Christmas. Chris, um, English people call it crimbo. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the artistic lifestyle, maybe? Your thing about not liking Kickstarter? Or do you not stand by <laughs> Haven't that? I done this already? Surely I've done this rant on your... No, I think you've mentioned it before. Kickstarter as Unless you have another rant up your... I'll probably have a rant about it. I don't know. About it up your sleeve me. about something else. It irks me. It irks you. And what else irks you? That's probably enough things to irk me. Not seeing The Hobbit. Yeah, I don't really want to see The Hobbit. That doesn't irk me exactly. I understand why I've done it. Okay, so on commence. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week I'm talking to my younger brother, Henry Fraser who is an academic and a husband and lawyer and do you have musician? Excellent musician. I played you on the radio this morning. Oh, really? Thank yes. you. Actually, and that, uh, that inspired me to um, my New Year's resolution-y thing. Not resolution. My New Year's episode, which will be answering questions. So anyone who wants to can email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com or at alliterative on twitter at alliterative i-a-l-i-t-e-r-a-t-i-v-e on twitter uh to ask me a question either about me or about a problem that they have because i found like i had three hours of radio this morning to feel neither of the guys who i wanted to show up showed up they're both in their early 20s and slept through their alarms um (laughs) which was great um and so I had three hours of radio to fill, so I just found myself asking people to let me solve their problems. Yeah. Which I think I'm good at. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah. if you have a problem, I will try to solve it. Or, you know, give advice, not actually solve You'll it. You'll agony aunt. Like, know, it's not like a problem of, like, I need $20. I will agony aunt. I have a problem that you could solve. Yes? In what way, other than providing an entirely uh, 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 non-sequitur segue to your story did my music inspire you to ask people questions oh no the 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 train of thought there was i um was on the radio for three hours and i played your music i see and hattie briggs's music oh hats have you got a new album i don't think i've given you a new album i played old eyes Oh, old eyes, yeah, that's a single. Her new single and i played one of the ones that you and her did together the Where Your Love Should Be, and then also I played some something off off your Quickly album. Oh, thanks. Well, I mean, I had two two discretionary slots per hour where I just played music from people that I like. And music that I like, obviously. Nice. There are some people that I like that do terrible music, but I like them as people. Nice. And by music, I mean comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, anyway, so I had this whole thing where these boys didn't come and I was, like, texting them. Unreliable boys, unreliable. So I had to ask the general public, the listener. Oh, that's also something I want to talk about, the listener, uh, which is something that you're meant to say on radio and you get in trouble if you don't say... If you don't address your listeners in the singular. As though they were stupid. As though you were only talking to them. Yeah, and it's this weird thing where... I find the weirdest one is you get it on community radio, like, middle-aged smug men are like dear listener and you're blah, like, blah, 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 blah. when they don't know what to do they use dear listener as filler yeah 
I think that's so... I, I mean, A... It's an awkward fiction. Even no my, one's fooled. No one's fooled. Even my podcast has multiple hundreds of listeners in the Does world. It now? Yes. Mm, that's good. And in the world, of course, it's not... It's maybe like one person per hundred thousand kilometers, but equally, I... It's not yeah, like, uh, you'd be lucky for that. Huh? <laughs> you'd be lucky. You know that. what I mean. I'm not good at maths or geography or demographics or geology. I don't know, actually, when the 100,000 kilometres square, how big an area that is. Maybe that's right. How many 100,000 kilometres are there, dear listener? Dear listener. <laughs> dear listener. But I like it when I'm listening. How many 100,000 kilometres squared are there on the surface of the earth? Oh, have you seen those fish out of the Marianas Trench that are all teeth? No. They're, they're just 90% teeth. They're just like a, a framework for teeth. <laughs> I'm enjoying the quote. Like, I think that's a cool observation. But again, <laughs> I, I'm like, okay. how, many, how much surface area is there? And you're like, yeah, have you seen those fish? Are I'm you so, okay? <laughs> no, I'm not okay. I had like two hours of sleep last night because I knew I had this morning radio and the I was. I just had weird nightmares. You should have told. If you were, if you were nervous about this morning, I would have come along and done my hyper unprofessional radio buddy thing that I do right now with lots of you know pauses, awkward pauses. No one minds pauses. What they mind is ums and ahs and repetition of like twitch crutch words. Like, dear listener. Like, dear yeah, listener. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But um, yeah, it was just not enough sleep, and then three hours of talking into the void listening to music, the majority of which I didn't like. Uh, The point being that I was inspired to do an episode next week in which I take your questions, listeners. Whoa, are we actually acknowledging it as plural? Yeah. I seem like that's a convention that must have come about when radio was just so mind-blowing. Yeah. That you had to appeal to people's sense of normality by pretending that they were just... It wasn't one-to-many, it was just one-to-one. Yeah, I think so. It's a sort of a stupid... I find it infuriating. It's a little rhetorical Let me know, listener, if you find it annoying. But, I mean, it's also... Because it's a weird... It's a suspension of disbelief because they're asking for call-outs and texts and they're reading out texts from other listeners. So Mm. if your listener actually believes they are the only listener, then they've got to feel horribly betrayed by, like... (laughs) Stefan yeah. in Blacktown, who's just texted in about his girlfriend but and can her I just say, disease. Dear listener, no trolling my sister. No trolling? Yeah, I don't want any trolling questions. I feel like by asking questions, people will be like, I don't, I don't I'm not going to give, I'm not going to encourage it. I think I will accept trolling. Because my lowest, most kind of slimy part of me would be like, Already, you know, as we're having this conversation, like, oh, dirty question. Oh. Dirty question. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just not going to answer those. Like, I, I do have discretion. I'm not like, I'm not like a Delphic oracle bound to answer all who approacheth me. I mean, I generally will read emails if people send me emails, but I won't read comments. I think that's the, my principle that I've discussed before on this podcast is if there's no friction, I'm not going to take your opinion seriously. Hmm. But if you bother to actually hunt me down, then there's some point to it. And people tend to be more thoughtful and considered over email. Over email, yeah. I get the nicest, like, long emails of people just 
nice telling me about themselves and stuff. Anyway, so they can ask questions about me or questions about themselves and I will solve their problems is the thing. But you said you had a dilemma that you wanted me to solve. What was the dilemma? I can't remember anymore. I can't remember. I don't think you told me. Did I ask you have to have a dilemma? You said you had a dilemma. When? Dear Alice, I have a long, very short memory. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember anything that I say. Um, yeah, did you, you had an etiquette dilemma, maybe? No, no. I think I was just asking in a sort of very awkwardly executed joke. I was like, I have a dilemma. Why are you being incoherent? Oh, I see. <laughs> you were just being mean. Yeah. I, um, I've actually had this recent thing... My most recent SBS article I put out with the punchlines are pictures of my face Mm. making expressions because I thought it would be funny Mm. to demonstrate the different faces you can make when you get Christmas presents, basically. (laughs) I think it's a funny premise. I thought it was worth the risk to put my face out there, but I'm also just not looking at the comments because if you're a woman that puts your face on anything, inevitably someone will be like... They want to fill the face with dicks. Yeah, or like, what a stupid face, hit it with dicks until it explodes. Like, it's always aggressive, dick-based, sort of. Yeah. Even whether it's pro or con, they're either like, oh, I'd put a dick on that, or like, hit it with a dick. (laughs) (laughs) It's very... um, Dick webbit. Yeah, exactly. It's very uh, strange. I think maybe there just should be a filter system in comments of like, does it involve either violence or dicks, in which case you just don't get through to the keeper. If you're going to be insulting, be at least creatively insulting. Yeah. Um, But yes, uh, you and I are not going to go see The Hobbit. Well, I don't think I want to see it. I I mean, I can understand. I can understand why, why he's done this. Well, they've done it to make money. And the studio has backed him because he made money with The Lord of the Rings. So they're just like, do that again. But The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, of course, are very different books. Mm. Um, and The Hobbit is a charming little human scale, a, a tale in human scale with the epicness being, you know, I guess that's the trick of fantasy. Always good fantasy. Now I'm revealing that I'm a fantasy now. It is having the world, the, the world of the events, of grand events, actually being at a distance from the main character, either in the past or in this case that he's so marginal to the events. Bilbo, not the Lord of the Rings. Well, then, of course, I mean, also, the, the Hobbits are central, but in 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 this, you know, things are happening, but he's just on the edge, and that's what is charming, and he just has this little. And I mean, little... even in the Lord of the Rings, part of the niceness of it is that even these epic characters are at various points quite small and peoply, and yeah. and, and if you are in the middle of grand events, you rarely feel like you are. You just feel like you're doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Ah, and then I stabbed him, but he was the king, so now I was the king. Like, that's my, that's <laughs> my fantasy novel. <laughs> yeah, you basically got it. Um, You're not like, I, I epically I, stabbed I admitted, him. I admitted to uh, a very kind um, American academic who I was chatting to today. I said, oh, you know, either I read, and we've discussed this before, I read trashy fantasy or I read Victorian realism, and I sort of haven't quite worked out how my feelings on anything in between. Mm. And she was like... Fantasy? Do you mean um, when I grow up, I'm going to be the greatest of the wizards and kill everyone? Fantasy? <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that she was so sweet, I felt comfortable telling her that. Even she didn't she... say it in a mean way, she just said it in a curious way. She was just curious. So, this fancy academic lady? 
Well, yeah, she's a great academic. Yeah. She, her name is. I'm not going to name drop her name. Because, it will make you look arrogant. Or... No, no, just weird. Anyway. Yeah. Ah, privacy. Yeah. Anyway, she's very sweet. Nice academic. Look yeah. at you working your way up the academic ranks. I'm not really doing that though. I don't think I'm doing that. I probably should do that. You don't think you are, but you're in the midst of epic events. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You just thought you were having a conversation with a nice old lady, but she... Old, well, she's quite young. I don't know how old she is. Well, I mean, in age, but in She was attitude. timeless. She's the lady of the lake. No, just in attitude, she's quite young. Yeah, that's, that's sweet. I didn't feel yeah. like that slight awkwardness when you have nothing in common with someone, because maybe that's because I'm old now. Maybe but, it's because you're both academics. But you know how you sort of have to just be kind of polite and respectful to people who are of a certain age above you? Or maybe that just wears off when you become a grown-up? Being a giant nerd is timeless. And I think you mm. are both giant nerds. Yeah, sort of. Doesn't she write about fan fiction? No, she's not really. I mean, only very obliquely. Ah, she just has a, a passing interest in it. Well, she has a passing interest in anything. That's what makes a, a good academic, really. Mm. And a very intense interest in a few things. Yeah. Hmm. What else were we going to talk about? Um, we're going to talk about Kickstarter. I'm sure I've had this rant. You probably have. About how Kickstarter irks me, except when it's used as a pre-sale. Yeah. I think that it irks me because I really, the idea of patronage irks me. But then again, I've, I probably, that's a really spoiled, entitled thing to say because essentially... I can only, so many of the things I've done, I've, I've had the opportunity to do rather. So many of the opportunities I've had, I've only had because of essentially the patronage of my family who's paid for it or helped me pay for it or lend me money or whatever, provided some form of support. Yeah. So maybe the I shouldn't. And so on. Maybe it's unfair of me to feel resentful at people essentially asking other people for money for no apparent reason other than that they think that their artistic goal is worth being paid for but I mean I, yeah I think just generally the idea of patronage of the arts is fraught it is fraught and people and you know this is what it is it's that patronage is fraught and it's um, problematic and it is and it's not a new thing it's an old thing mm. and the issues are fraught and old and then things like Kickstarter and Possible come along and everyone is creaming their pants with excitement and they're like, this is such a new amazing opportunity for the development of new ideas and schemes. And you're like, it's yeah, just, Michelangelo did this. Yeah, it's just like lots of people did this and it has the same problems now as it had then, well, it except that the problems are somewhat mediated by having, by spreading the burden across a lot of patronage so you're not indebted to one person in particular, but at the same time it encourages a kind of general fawning attitude as well that's right you still well it rewards it doesn't reward the ability to produce a great piece of art it rewards the ability to socially mobilize people just as patronage to a certain extent rewarded the ability to suck up to someone with money this yeah. is like instead of sucking the skill of sucking up to one person with money it's sucking up to everyone and extracting their money but by being kind of cool and making them feel cool by association but that's a marketable skill and your I mean your argument against patronage is basically market forces right no well the you market the like market, the market no no well I think there's something well the market is rewarding something different the market is rewarding producing something patronage is rewarding nothing patronage is rewarding the ability to fawn but 
it's a market. Yeah, it is a market, but is that the market that you want? That's not no, the point. See, it's beside example, the point. I'm not saying the market is necessarily superior to patronage. You know, I think it probably is, but that's not what I'm saying now. What I'm saying is everyone is so excited about this, like, really, like, technologically driven crowdfunding sauce, whatever. And in fact, it's just patronage and it's not that cool. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting... I feel vaguely defensive because I do have a Patreon. Do you? What's Patreon? It's one where people can pay, uh, give money to you per month. Oh, I take it all back. Give money to Alice per month. (laughs) (laughs) No, but they give like a small amount or whatever, like $2 a month. Yeah. But then if a bunch of people do it, then you have artistic freedom. And all they're doing is being like, I'd like to see what you do. I'm buying you time to do interesting things. That's 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 a bit different though, because that's called Patreon, right? Mm. It's called, it's, it's admitting what it is. It's not pretending to be something else. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not, it is crowdsourcing patronage. That's what it's doing. Right. But it's not, it's not resting on the bars of the idea of crowdsourcing as this like, whoa, amazingly innovative thing. You know what else is crowdsourcing? Tax. Yeah. You know, like, mm, yeah, just, yeah, I don't know. I find it tedious. Democracy is that crowds? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. a local RSL. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Membership of a club. Well, yeah, no, it's an inter- it's an interesting thing because there are people who do Patreon as a thing. Like there's, and I need to sit down and actually spend some time figuring out how to, how you know, to monetize not, Patreon. No, not how to monetize it, but like there. How if, to, not to monetize, but like get more out of it. Yeah. Get, but like things like you you should give your people your patrons special things that other people don't get like that's pretty standard like even for the medicis that's standard you give something special to your patrons so i have to figure out what that's going to be and like do a proper sit down because i do want like i don't just want people to give me money like standing on a street corner well i mean the most common tasteful way of doing it like the opera and whatnot which I guess this is class bias, but they just acknowledge and thank their sponsors That's in the true. program. That's true. That's a pretty standard, classy way of doing it. Like, I think I've got Sam and Jeremy at the moment. And the other good thing about doing it that way is that you are transparent about it. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the other thing I don't like as well. The sort of... That crowdfunding has the capacity to obscure patronage in a rhetoric about something else and it's not really transparent and people are not by the circumstance by the nature of the technology are not obliged to um explicit be explicit about where they where the money is coming from you know yeah i hope this is, i hope i'm not too far away from the mic as i make my most Cogent point. Cogent Where do you points. stand on uh, corporate sponsorship then? Well, it's corporate sponsorship is, uh, you know, well, allow well, like, me to say, say allow say me to be really, allow me to be really academic and like, and and cowardly about this. I'm not saying anything in particular. Allow me to limit the scope of my claims. What I'm not saying <laughs> is anything. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what I'm not saying is actually anything. Um, but let us consider for a minute. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, but no, I'm not saying. You know, I'm not trying. Mad. I'm not trying to say. You know, I'm a crazy neoliberal, and whatever the market prefers is good, and any alternative is inferior because it, you know, it, you know, because and anyway, you could be neoliberal about patronage and say, well, it's just you know, private ordering of different things. It's a different market for different stuff. Whatever. 
the point I'm trying to make is I don't like pretentious, enthusiastic tech rhetoric about Anything. freedom and diversity with this sort of naivete that what is being done is new and is somehow going to be separate from the usual bullshit that accompanies any kind of allocation of money and power. Well, I mean, that tech rhetoric of diversity and freedom is undermined hugely by the demographics of success stories in tech. Yeah, and there's also, I mean... There's, either... there's all sorts of interesting... I mean, I mean, now it's kind of been popularised with the idea of the filter bubble. Yeah. But there's all kinds of interesting writing about how, in fact, the increase in people's... Uh, the increase in people's choice in what they endorse, in what they... in what conversations they can participate in and their opportunities to participate, in fact, seems to galvanise rather than have the effect of opening people's mind. The choices that people make are to close themselves off from the voices that they were exposed to in an otherwise more centralised media market or whatever you know a more centralized form of discourse where they you know for all of its problems they were they were subjected to the powerful voice but the powerful voice which made concessions to diversity yeah you know albeit imperfect concessions but some concessions whereas in fact on the internet you can just shut yourself off with all other crazies yeah, I think that I've used this example before, but the one that I saw in the And in the fact, comments, people do shut themselves with, off with other crazies in the air, and there's so much interesting evidence about how crazy they go. Yeah, they do go crazy. Because partly people define themselves by how extreme they are. This, They're like, oh, I'm extreme, and I'm extreme right in relation to people who I deal with, and so then when they only deal with extreme right people, they have to be more extreme than all the other extreme right people. Yeah, it's about self-identifying. And yeah. so there's two things here. One is, like, as a comedian... I need to relate to the world as it is, not as I would like it to be. Yeah. And that's worrying to me that I'm not getting, I might not be getting exposed to things that are important for me to address and deal with because the only things that pierce the filter bubble are those little outrage spirals and they're not useful discourse. They're just jizz buckets for people to feel self-righteous about. Like I actually would rather have a, a realistic picture of what's going on in the world so that I can address it and deal with it and that's you know an arrogant enough but you don't do news comedy this is interesting i don't do news comedy. so having just said what you said why don't you do let, news comedy let, okay let's address that the second thing first all right we'll, i will defer that first the second thing yeah and then the third thing after the fourth yeah. no um so the first one is that i think these filter bubbles are worrying for me from that perspective and the second thing was i've used this analogy before it's not an analogy it's an, it's an example of um, in the comments of a Jezebel article, I saw somebody objecting to the use of the open term trans asterisk to describe somebody who might be on the transitioning spectrum but was not yet a trans man or woman, objecting to that because they thought that it implied that they weren't a real trans woman. And I thought, you have lost the fight with like the mainstream is so far away from this discussion you are changing nothing and you're talking to only the people who already agree with you and you're alienating the people that already agree with you in order to (laughs) excuse us dear listener (laughs) yo hello good I'm just on Ali's podcast 
Live to air. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, well, I mean, we'll cut this, but yeah. Will we? Yeah. I think this is Henry's wife on the phone. Can I give you a lift? Yeah, I am currently wearing toe shoes and lycra shorts and nothing else. So probably perfect. <laughs> um, okay, cool. All right. All right. Bye. When do you have to go? Soon. Okay. Um, okay, well, let's, we'll wind up on the thing. Yeah. What we'll Alienate. Filter bubble, yeah. Filter bubble. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I don't know if so I've misconstrued... So what was the thing you were asking? Well, one of the... Thi- well, allow me to finish off my filter bubble okay. thought. Uh, the, ne- the thing I was asking you was news comedy, but the filter bubble thought... I may have misconstrued some of the arguments. I need to read them again, but I think it is that part of it is that people need to identify themselves relative to others. The other is that you get a sort of a sheep effect, that if a certain number of people... Uh, in the circle in which you're conversing agree with a position then you will tend to think that that's right so, for so if you're not exposed to the people who would disagree then you see everyone agreeing and then you tend and to and then you position it. yourself I so for example if yeah. I lived in the 1700s or 1600s I might be anti-slavery but I'm you know now that that's completely normal and even the most right wing people are anti-slavery except people who are really into sweatshops yeah. uh, then I'm going to position myself at the distance that anti-slavery would have been from the mainstream I at, think there is at that, that period I think there, so th- I think those are both phenomena there are both tendencies socialising tendencies which have all kinds of interesting causes but mm-hmm. for our purposes all kinds of insidious effects yeah, yeah. Which, which people are naive about and massively enthusiastic, much to my irritation, <laughs> just because I'm contrary and I like to get depressed at Christmas. Um, <laughs> but I ding, wasn't depressed ding, at Christmas ding, today. Ding, this ding. most recent. Maybe we should Christmas. finish off with a Christmas carol. Ding, dee, dee, ding, um, dee, dee, ding. Um, yeah, so news. Well, well, I'm about to give someone a lift, so we, we must um, we must proceed with haste. That's all right. I promised um, only a short podcast. Yeah, and and we've done a reason. We're at 38 minutes, of which we'll cut probably half <laughs> um well i mean to give henry credit he's making very coherent thoughts for someone who was just gone for a run and is still in toe shoes yeah i love my toe shoes we can talk about that on another podcast um all the news comedy like, why don't you do, before you we go why faith? don't you do news comedy because i sometimes i wonder this because obviously news comedy is the most for the most part other than like the, the next level of comedy, I suppose, is philosophical comedy, mm. um, which is kind of shallow but interesting philosophical observation. And uh, I would adduce as my evidence for this category, Louis C.K., yeah. who kind of reflects on selfishness and a sort of reflects on your urges, your and and the human urges and how succumbing they... to human urges and what they mean and the and when you don't. And what that means. And yeah, yeah he, that's why he's awesome. That's why he's really deeply funny rather than just sort of a little snicker. Yeah. He's quite funny. And you do lots of that kind of comedy and sort of social comedy. Yeah. Um, about work and women and so on. But probably the most marketable, the most broadly marketable comedy is news comedy. That's the stuff that gets on The Chaser here and um, Look, Colbert and, and um, John Stewart it. and all that. I do it. I mean, I've done Irrational Fear now since it began. You pick social issues on irrational fear rather than news issues. I do. And that's because I think a lot of news comedy is basically 
I'm, I don't want... I have a lot of friends who are news comedians, so this is not uh, an attack on them. But a lot of it is basically saying what's going on in a slightly sarcastic way. Oh, in a sort of an outraged... Yeah, or in way, an outraged yeah. tone. And then or making... I can't believe... I mean, John Stewart kind of just... <laughs> he just... <laughs> He just shows you the stuff. Yeah, and he's just telling the truth and he does it really well. But equally then a lot of it is like, you know, blah, blah, blah with the refugees. That's like eating a pudding but then doing a poo on it before eating it. The analogies are sort of... Really obvious. The laughs come... I suppose we're being being a bit... um, A little bit. I'm being reductive and... No, 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 but I guess I'm being a bit reductive as well, being like... Because I've chosen things that are certain group of people finds as the most you know common source Look, of comedy. I love I love I love what John Oliver is doing. Yeah. I think it's Well he does really quite invested well not investigative but analytical on a deep level of technical things that are relevant, which is yeah. cool. That's awesome. But he also and and I admire him incredibly and we went to the same university and we had a chat one day backstage at something at Central Park, the Comedy Central thing, and I think he's great and I listen to the bugle but he does do that he does that thing where it's a very serious issue and then he's sort of tacking tinsel on to keep people entertained and engaged well, I mean isn't that what comedy is kind of tacking tinsel onto real stuff so that they think about yeah they keep thinking about I, it I that doesn't come so naturally to me I find it artificial but don't you think it's a skill worth learning though? I think it's a skill that I have. And I mean, a lot of the stuff that I did for News Lab was that. Yeah, yeah. And I like doing it and I do it when people commission me to do it. Yeah. It's not something that comes naturally to me because the comedy that I prefer to write is that the tinsel is like embedded through it, I think. The, the absurdity runs through my perception of it and yeah, it's about the, me. I mean, you could be just describing a really good... Daily Show episode. Yeah, as I said, some people it comes really naturally to. Yeah, oh, but so you feel like for you, you're just tacking tinsel onto something rather than being able to thread it all the way through. Unless it's an issue about which I actually have an opinion. The or fact that people are stupid and selfish and venal and politicians are acting in political ways and doing awful things, I find too upsetting to be funny about. <laughs> right. I can do a nice little rant about something that. I feel like I can actually have an impact on and mm. genuinely change people's minds on. But otherwise, I find a lot of news comedy is quite self-congratulatory and preaching to the choir, speaking about what you were speaking about before, filter bubbly. Like, yeah. whose minds are you changing? Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, that's right. They're the darlings of the lefty. Um, and I think that's where John Oliver succeeds, maybe where those guys don't necessarily succeed. He's actually... a really digging and making points about which people don't already have opinions. Well, I mean, yes, but he's only preaching to people who are willing to think about that stuff. True. Which is a pretty small niche. True, but he's engaging people who are maybe neutral. Yeah, and and, making them think about it. And the point is, I think... Okay, here's here's the point, and I'll let you go on this, which is I I love good news satire. I think it's brilliant. I watch The Daily Show, I watch The Colbert Report, and I love John Oliver. But I think the thing that John Oliver does that the others don't necessarily do, and maybe why I don't naturally do news comedy, is I like to make points that people haven't already made up their minds on. All of the data at the moment that's coming out shows that people... When confronted with the... I love your your claim. 
all the data that's coming out right now, which I'm deeply tapped into. I am. I know though. what you I mean. Follow this the stuff. things, thing. Well, the I would, more, the let's more. be academic and limit that claim. A lot of the data that I am seeing from the sources to which I'm exposed. Yes, yes a lot on. of the data that I'm seeing from the sources to which I'm exposed indicates that people, when they have an opinion, as you say, that jibes with their personal identity. Yeah will not change their mind no matter what you present them with. If you present them with counterfacts, they disbelieve them and they yeah. double down on their belief. Yeah, yeah, I read this article. So, I mean, there's a couple of articles. There's a lot of data coming out at the moment about that very thing. And so the real points of leverage, the points at which you can change people's minds are the things that they haven't actually thought about yet, the things that are not loaded, the things that are uninvestigated and that's why this kind of investigative comedy news journalism is something I'm really interested in and I would write for John Oliver if he would hire me. John, do you hear that? John, listen to me. <laughs> I assume because Mr. I listen, Oliver, sir. Uh, I assume because he li- uh, listened to the bugle he also listens to me. That's how that yeah, works. It's like when you cover your eyes and you can't see Yeah, uh, you're but the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, which is why I dress up to watch the television. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> People used to do that apparently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's the end of that, I guess. Happy Crimbo. Happy Crimbo, Chrissy, Exma. Uh, we'll talk about New Year's resolutions next week. And please feel free to write to me. It will be fun. Ask me a question about your life or ask me a question about my life. I will try to answer it. Farewell, dear listener. Yeah.